Uh, you still have a week to invite your friends and neighbors, your coworkers, and, and the people that, that are around you that maybe are, uh, maybe they're not anti-God or anti-church, but they're just kind of disinterested. And that's what this series has been all about, is to invite your friends and neighbors, those people that are kind of disinterested in church, maybe disinterested in God, and show them that we have a reason to be interested in what God is doing. And it's not because we're showing clips from movies during our services, but it's because God is alive and well, and he wants to minister and wreck their lives and do something amazing in their lives. So invite your friends, your neighbors, your loved ones, even your enemies. Get them here to the summit next weekend. We're going to have a great time. Uh, one of the things I love doing is we have a, a, a thing called a membership encounter. And so people that are interested in becoming members of the Summit Church or people that are interested in just finding out more. About every other month right now, we've been doing a membership encounter. It's on a Sunday night at 5 p.m. and our next one coming up is in October, October the 19th. And if you're interested in that, you can sign up for that out in the info center uh, in the lobby, or you can go to our website, summittogether.com, and sign up there. And so uh, if you're interested in that, please do. But one of the things I want to do this morning is recognize some of the people that have said, hey, you know what, we want to make the summit our home. We're going to become members of the summit, and, and we're going to be committed here. And so I want to recognize some of them. And they're going to stand, and some of these people are going to be in this service. Some will be in the next. Um, but look, do me a favor. When you see somebody stand, even if you don't know them, understand that they are part of our family. And I I want you to go connect with them and greet them and act like they are your long-lost friend, even if you don't know who they are. So uh, I'm going to introduce them to you at this time. Uh, Tom and Elizabeth Blues, Angela Broskin. You stay standing, too. I'm going to embarrass you the whole time. Sorry, stay standing. I'm going to make you be embarrassed the whole time. Come on, Tom. <laughs> Listen to your wife. Angela Broskin, Rob Carolus, Bertha Casey, Dory Decker, Adam Flynn, Abriana Henry, Denise Lamming, Nancy Laney, Hillary Lewis, Matthew Long, Stacy, and Stacy, please forgive me. I don't know how to say your last name if you're in the room right now. I think you're in the next service, so I apologize. I'll figure that out before the next service. Uh, Bethany McCaffus, Den, uh, Ken McCaffus, Megan Morris, Roger Pfeiffer, uh, Brandon Robinson, Carol Rosario, Ernesto Rosario, Lisa Schwartz, James Smith, Jonathan, Jonathan Smith, Katie Stewart, and Dan Wissinger. So let's do me a favor and welcome all them and tell them we're glad they're here. Love you guys. You can be seated. Thank you guys so much. It is awesome to see what God is doing. God is, um, we're seeing people saved every week. People are, are seeing their lives changed every week. People want to be a part of what God is doing here, and it's so exciting. And uh, one other side note before we get into the message. Uh, how many of you ladies were here Friday night? That's a bunch of hands. That's awesome. Ladies, if you missed it, you missed a great night. Um, I was not here. I watched most of it online on the live stream. But the good news is if you missed it, you can go back to our website and you can watch it from the live stream. It was an incredible evening. I was so... I was so excited to see God working. There were 340 ladies in this room worshiping God together, going after God. And it was, it was people who don't go to church, people from our church, but it was, one of the cool things is there were people from other churches here as well. And, and this is not about getting people from other churches to join our church as much as it is us saying, hey, we want to provide something for our community. So ladies that go to other churches that need a place to connect, they can come be a part of our events and they can still go back to their church and be energized and excited about what God is doing, but they can connect here. And, uh, and it's really exciting. I'm a little biased because the person that runs the women's ministry is my favorite staff member. Um, 
And I'm so proud of Kim and her team. They did a great job, and they just have pulled it off. And, and I don't know if I should say this or not, but I'm going I'm to say it anyway. Um, <laughs> this is a precursor, ladies, for what's to come, okay? Because um, next year, we already have planned. In, did you already announce this? Okay, good. I'll spill the beans. In September of 2015, we already have a women's conference planned. It's going to be a Friday and Saturday event here at our church, and it will be packed. It's going to be awesome. Um, and we will have, uh, we'll have a guest worship leader here, just like we did this time with, with Tiffany. Um, but we're going to, it looks like, can I say who's coming, babe? Can I say who's, can I say? Okay. And it may be Tiffany. I think I'm just invited Tiffany to come back next year for a women's conference. Um, um, Bianca Olthoff is a noted speaker and author, and she's traveled all over the world. She is dynamic. And uh, when Kim told me she thinks she had secured her for our women's event next year, I was excited. So she's going to be here with us next year for our women's conference, and I'm pumped about that. And I'm telling you, Good things are in store, and I can't wait to see what God does here at the Summit Church. Okay, that's enough of the uh, patting ourselves on the back. Let's get into the message for the day. Um, as you can see, the, the movie we're going to be covering today is The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, and, and I love this movie. When I saw it, um, it's, it's a clean movie. It's one you can watch with your kids, um, but it just spoke to me, kind of it rung true with the core of who I am, and it just speaks to us getting outside of our normal life, because Walter Mitty was a guy in this movie um, that he kind of lived a normal life. He lived an average life. It was ordinary. Um, he, he didn't do anything extraordinary, really. Uh, he had a normal job. He had a normal apartment, and nothing about his life was, was more than average. It was very plain, and I think a lot of us, we fall into a routine of living a plain, ordinary, average life if we're not careful. And God has something so much more for that. And so I want us to look at this first clip of, of Walter, and it kind of introduces who he is and his life and how it's just kind of humdrum. So let's take a look at that clip. Hi, Todd Mahar, eHarmony. How can I help you today? Hi, I can't seem to leave a wink for someone. I don't know, is my page broken? Do I, do I maybe have a broken page or? Uh, I've never heard of that, but okay. Uh, you're trying to use your eHarmony account for the first time? I am. Okay, uh, I'm looking at your profile. We have a pretty intricate matching algorithm that's what distinguishes us from other online dating services. Yeah, I like that. Actually, I'm just trying to leave a wink for one person, Cheryl Melhoff. She started in my division at work about a month ago, and I overheard her near the bagel saying she was on your site. Uh, okay, that's unique, but let me ask you, you left a lot of this stuff, like, like the been there, done that section, you left it blank. Yeah, I think I skipped it. Okay, you've got to help me out here, man, don't skip stuff. Okay, well, I haven't really been anywhere noteworthy or mentionable. Have you, have you done anything noteworthy, mentionable? Hello? Still there? Can you hang on a second? I heard barking, thought I smelled gas. 
Oh, I hope it's okay. I engineered a prosthesis for chips while I was sprinting down the stairwell. Little hip joint assembly with a drop ring lock and an interior pelvic band. God, you're noteworthy! I just live by the ABCs. Adventurous, brave, creative. That's everything I want in a man. My man. Hey, my man, you still there? Hey. What, did you pass out or...? No, I just like zoned out for a second. Oh, okay. Do you do that a lot? Uh, normal amount, I guess. Yeah. I, uh, I gotta run. Sorry. Oh, okay, but we, we need a lot more... See, Walter found himself daydreaming about what he wishes his life looked like. He knew he lived a normal, average, ordinary life, and he didn't like it. He wanted something more, but he didn't know how to get there. He didn't know what that looked like. He didn't know how to experience that. And so he caught himself zoning out and daydreaming about what his life could look like. And, and I, there are times in my life that I found myself doing the same thing. Well, if my circumstances were a little different, or if, if my life was like this, then I could do everything that God had for me, or I could become everything God had for me, or I could live the life that God's dreamed for me to live, but I can't because this is who I am. And I think we've all fallen into that trap at times, and it's happened throughout Scripture. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Judges, chapter 6, and we're going to look at a story of the man, a guy named Gideon. And in the book of Judges, there was a cycle that was going on, and basically what would happen is the children of Israel would do real well, um, they would be prospering, and because they were prospering, they'd fall away from God. They'd turn to sin. Because they turned to sin, they'd fall into captivity. A, a, another nation would come in and basically have them captive. Uh, sometimes they'd be in literal slavery. Sometimes they would just be submitted to uh, another nation, and, and they didn't like it. And so they'd call out to God and say, God, we're sorry. Help us out here. And God would send someone to rescue them, and things would be good. And then they'd fall into sin. And so this cycle happened over and over and over in Scripture. And we're in the middle of one of these cycles here in Judges chapter 6. And we're going to start in verse 11. And it says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah. Not Oprah. Ophrah. We're not giving away cars. You get a car and you get a car. We're not doing that today. <laughs> Which belonged to Joash the Bezerite. While his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Now, you read this verse and you don't think much of it because you go, okay, great. He, the Midianites were in control. He was an Israelite. He was threshing wheat in the wine press. But the thing that's interesting here is you weren't supposed to thresh wheat in a wine press. You're supposed to thresh wheat on the threshing floor. And the reason you did that is because when they would thresh the wheat on this threshing floor, is typically on top of a hill or a higher place. And it was an open area where the wind could catch the chaff or the junk from the wheat. So they would thresh this wheat and the wind would come through and catch the chaff and blow it away. And what you were left was, was the positive stuff that you needed to make bread and to use to eat. But instead, he was threshing wheat in a wine press. And a wine press was typically dug out of a rock. And so it was a lower place. And he was threshing wheat there. And the problem was the wind was not going to catch the chaff and blow it away. So you ask, well, why was he doing that? Well, he was afraid of the Midianites. If the Midianites knew he had wheat, they were going to come get it, and they were going to eat it. And what was, what was Gideon going to do to live? So fear drove Gideon to the wine press to thresh his wheat. And so many times in our lives, fear will drive us to do things that aren't normal because it becomes normal for us. Does that make sense? 
That's how he lived his life. He was used to being under control by the Midianites. He was used to living his life in fear that at any point his stuff could be taken away. That was his normal. And I can't help but think that Gideon, in his normal, would dream about better days and think about what could be. And if, if only this would happen, or if only that would happen, then my life would be better. And he was dreaming, I think, in, in what could be, what could my life look like if I wasn't gripped by fear, if I wasn't under control of the Midianites. And I think many of us live our lives the same way. If we're not careful, we are trapped by fear. We're trapped by something we're submitted to. Because the truth is, Gideon wasn't submitted to faith. He was submitted to fear. He had given himself over to it. And that fear controlled him. That fear caused him to live differently than he should have. So here he is threshing wheat in the wine press. His life um, is a routine of pain and disappointment and hurt. And here he is, and in verse 12, this is what it says. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Let me tell you this. When I was younger, I used to think that the angel of the Lord was being sarcastic. <laughs> like, you know, I, I can be fairly sarcastic at times if I'm not careful. And so I, I, I guess I filtered it through my own lens, and I was thinking, wow, the angel of the Lord's fairly sarcastic here. Like, hey, mighty man of valor, you know. Uh, but that's not the way he said it at all. And we'll come back to that in a little bit. And he says, and Gideon said to him, please serve the Lord is with us. Why has, all these, why has all this happened to us? Has anybody ever been there before? If God is really with us, why, why did I get laid off? If God is really with us, why am I walking through a divorce? If God is with us, then why am I having such a hard time just making ends meet? If God is with us, why? Then you fill in the blank. We've all been there. We've all experienced it. And he said, and where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and has given us into the hand of Midian. He's saying, I've heard the stories of how good God is. I've heard it all, but I'm not experiencing it. I don't know that goodness firsthand. Where is it at? And that's a valid question. Some of us feel guilty about asking that question, but you should not feel guilty about asking that question. It's okay. God is a big God, and he can take your questions. And the angel of the Lord turned to him, and it says the Lord, but it refers to the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. It's just like God to answer a question with a question, Right? I love doing that with my girls. It drives them crazy sometimes. They'll ask me a question, and, whoa, and I'll turn back around, and finally they'll be like, Daddy, please. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'll answer the question. And God turned it around and said, hey, listen, am I not sending you? Do I have power and authority? Then go in that power and authority. So today what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at, at three ways that we can live a courageous life. Three steps to living courageously. It's hard to live courageously uh, because a lot of us do. We get bogged down. We get, um, we get used to our routine. We get used to our rut, if we will. And it's, it's hard to live the lifestyle that God's lived first, uh, asked for us to live because a lot of times we fall into that place where we start saying, well, if I could just hit the Powerball, right? And then we're, we're in church. No, I'm sure nobody here plays the Powerball. But we start Man, if I, if I just won the Powerball, woo, my life would be so much better. If I could just get the raise at work, then my life would be better. If I could just, if my wife would just start acting like this, or if I would just, right, and we have all these what ifs. If God would just do this, then everything would be great. And we can't live our lives in the what if uh, because that's not what God has for us. He's got for us something so much more than just dreaming about what could be. 
Uh, it's interesting, and one of my favorite <clears throat> stories is the story of King Saul. He was the first king of Israel. And in 1 Samuel 10.22, um, I'm going to read this passage, but Samuel was ready to introduce Saul to the nation of Israel. And Saul was about to become the king, and the Bible tells us he was good-looking. He was a head taller than all the other men in the kingdom. I mean, he was physically imposing. He was good-looking. Uh, he seemed to have all of his junk together. And, and Samuel goes to introduce him to the nation. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel 10.22. So they inquired again to the Lord, is there a man still to come? They're saying, where, where is Saul at? You know, he's supposed to come out. Introducing King Saul! And the curtain's open and nobody's there. Okay, let's try it again. King Saul! And he's still not coming out. And then this is what it says, and the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. And I love this, because what Saul did was he said, I can't face these people. I'm a fraud. I don't deserve to be king. And so what did he do? He went and hid in the baggage. And so many times God is calling us to step onto the stage of something great, calling us to step out into something wonderful. And he says, here's your chance. Go for it. Where are you at? And we're hiding in the baggage of our life. We're saying, I could never do that because of my past. I could never become what God wants me to be because of what I've done. I could never do that because of what I've come from. I could never do that because of the way I think. I could never do that because, and we have all this baggage we have brought with us through our lives, and it defines us if we let it. And we say, I'm going to hide in this. This is my comfy spot. I cannot do what God's asking me to do. And we find ourselves hiding in the baggage of our lives. And when we do that, we can never walk in God's best for our lives. The baggage of our hurt, pain, disappointment, you fill in the blank. Whatever that baggage is, we've all got it, and we will all hide in it if we're not careful. In Isaiah chapter 26, verse 19, there's this prophecy about the end times when the dead in Christ will rise and will be reunited with Jesus. Uh, but I thought it was appropriate for today. It says in Isaiah 26, 19, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. And listen to this. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is the dew of light. He's saying the dew that God sent is like life. He says, and the earth will give birth to the dead. So many of us, we're busy living our lives in the dust. We're busy mourning our past and, and living in our baggage and our hurt and pain. And what we fail to realize is God has a life for us to live if we'll just step into it. God's got something more for us than just our hurt and pain and disappointment. And so what we have to understand, what every person who, who wants to live a courageous life has to understand is the first part. You have to stop dreaming and start living. You can dream your life away and never live a day of your life if you're not careful. You have to stop dreaming and start living. Well, Walter, in the movie, he works for Life Magazine, hence all the life covers on the stage. Um, and what church in America has um, Sir Winston Churchill and Joe DiMaggio and the Beatles on their stage today? Probably not very many, okay? Um, but Walter, he works for Life Magazine, and he's trying to find negative 25. It's going to be the cover of the final issue of Life, and he can't find it. And so he goes on this, he embarks on this epic journey to find negative 25. And he, it takes him not just out of his comfort zone, but it takes him overseas to a, a different nation. And so he has flown to Greenland to try to find the photographer so he can figure out what happened to negative 25. And as, when he gets to Greenland, he's hot on this photographer's heels, and he goes into this, this pub in Greenland, and he encounters this helicopter pilot who knows where the photographer is, and he can take him there. The only problem is the, the, the helicopter pilot is, is 
fairly drunk, and, um, and he uh, is about to fly into a major storm. And so he invites Walter to go with him on this helicopter flight, and Walter is pretty leery of getting on board with a drunk helicopter pilot in the midst of a severe storm, as you could probably imagine. Well, let's take a look. He does. I'm not, I'm not going to give the whole movie away, but he does. He decides at the last minute, okay, I got to do this. I, I can't just sit here. That's, I'm not going to play it safe. I'm going to go get on this helicopter and see what happens. So we're going to take a look at this clip and see what happens when, uh, when Walter did that. Hey. You can't. Be comfortable. What? Are you comfortable? No. Hold on. Your face. I just 
you, if you learn anything from today, don't forget, make friends with the porpos, okay? <laughs> uh, Walter had to make a choice to do something dangerous. He had to make a choice to not only get on that helicopter, which seemed irrational, but he had to make a choice to jump out of the helicopter into the ocean, into a small Zodiac boat, and risk his life to do what he knew he had to do. Uh, as we get back to the story of Gideon, it's interesting. Um, Gideon had a choice to make. God had said, hey, I'm calling you to free the people from the Midianites. And he said, okay, God, I'm going to do it. And if you're interested in reading this story, you need to read Judges chapter 6 and 7 um, to fill in some of the gaps. But Gideon says, okay, oh, I'm going to step into that. And he recruits his people. He gets his team together. And he's got about 32,000 people for this fight, 32,000 able-bodied men to go fight the Midianites. Little did he know, though, or realize that there were at least 100,000 Midianites that he was going to be facing. And some scholars say it may have been as many as 300,000 versus 32,000. Doesn't seem like very good odds. It seems a little bit crazy, but it gets worse. It gets worse for Gideon. Let me read Judges chapter 7, verse 2. It says, The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. God said, You got too many people on your team. Because if you win the victory, you're going to take all the credit. And you don't deserve the credit because I'm going to win this victory for you. And he says, okay. Uh, verse 3 says, Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. So he says, okay, if you're afraid, go home. And you would have thought everybody would have stayed, but no. It says, Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. You're like, wait, wait a second, God. Oh, hold on one second. Is 10,000 really too many? I promise we won't try to take credit. I promise we're going to give you all the credit. Just let me have my 10,000. And God says, nope, too many. You've got too many. You've got to release some of them. So he says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to send them down to the brook to drink. And when they do, depending on how they drink the water, that's how you're going to filter people out. The guys that lean over and lap the water out with their tongue, that's your team. Those are the guys you get to keep. And he says, wait a second, God, I, the guys that have bad manners, I get to keep those guys? And God said, yep. So God took them from 10,000 and whittled that number down. This is what it says in Judges 7-7. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men, 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands and let all the others go every man to his home. So God is saying to Gideon, guess what? You got 300 guys and you get to go fight 100,000. How does that sound? Gideon's like, what did I sign up for here? Like, what are you really asking me to do, God? And, and so many times in our lives, we feel like God has done the same thing to us. God says, hey, I want you to be bold and step out into my plan and promise for your life. And you go, okay, God, I want to do that. But wait a second. You're taking away all my security. You're taking away all my safety. You're taking away, you know, my strength. And you're making me rely on you. And God says, that's exactly what I'm doing. You're exactly right. I love at the beginning of that clip we saw, the pilot says, are you comfortable? And Walter says, no. When has God worked the most in your life? When you're comfortable? Probably not. God's probably shown up in the biggest ways in your life when you were wildly uncomfortable. God shows up and works in your life. And that's how God does. Uh, we see, and I'm going to give away the end of this story to you, but Gideon, they win the victory that day. Do you know how they won the victory? With some torches. 
They had some fire and some horns, and they won the victory that day. They surrounded the enemy camp, they lit torches, and they blew their trumpets, and the enemy went crazy, and they slew each other, they were killing each other, and as they ran, the 300 chased them down and killed them. They took the princes from the Midianites, cut off their head, and displayed them for Israel to see. That's pretty hardcore, right? That's, that's a lot different than it looked at the beginning when Gideon was in the wine press threshing wheat. God gave them the victory. It wasn't about the 300 men. It was about God working through the 300 men. And sometimes we have to let go of something good in order for God to put something even better in our hands. We say, God, it's hard for me to let go of these 10,000 men. It's hard for me to let go of these 22,000 men. And God says, just trust me, and I'm going to give you something even better. See, Gideon could have hung on to those 32,000 men, but what would have happened is he would not have had room in his hand for God to place the victory. So you can hang on to your security, you can hang on to your safety, but you will never have room in your hand for God to deposit in it what he wants to. You know, it's, um, with my girls, they trust me, and my girls love me, and there are times when they were younger, especially they're too big now, but when they were younger, they would jump off the bed to me. You know, the the dads will do that, and they'll kind of stretch it out and see how far they can go, and, you know, they'll they'll jump far, whoa, and I've never dropped my girls. Never intentionally drop my girls. No, I'm just kidding. I, I've, never dro- I've never dropped my girls. Uh, never in my life have I dropped my girls. But I can tell you, there have been times that they'll be standing on the edge of something, ready to jump. And I'll say, come on, trust me. Come on. It's, it's okay. I'm not going to drop you. And they're hesitant. And do you know why? It's not because I've dropped them before, but it's because they've fallen before. They've been on the edge of the bed and fallen off and hurt themselves. So when they're on the edge and I'm saying, come on, come on, trust me, I got you. They're hesitant. And it, it's not about me, but it's about their experience. And they say, my experience tells me that there's a chance I'm going to fall and hurt myself. There's a chance I'm going to fall and bust my head or my knee. And what happens, if that, what, you know, what happens if I do that? And so they're not questioning me, but they're remembering their experience and their past. And I think God is calling to us today saying, trust me, jump out. Because he's not asking us. God's not asking us today, are you comfortable? God never asks us, are you comfortable? Because he is not very concerned about our comfort. But do you know what he is asking us? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Will you you jump? I'm not going to drop you. I promise. I've never dropped you before. But our circumstances, our experience tells us it's risky and it's dangerous. But the truth is, what is perceived risk with God is not risky at all. Does that make sense? We look at it and we say, this is risky if I jump out to God. But the truth is, it's risky if we don't jump out into what God's got for us. That's where the real risk lies. It's risky if we don't do it. So the second part of the message today is we have to do something that's terrifying. We have to do something that scares us to death in order to be where God wants us to be, in order to live a courageous life. The last clip I want to show you today, uh, Walter has returned home from this epic trip, and it really is not even as much about this, this negative that he's lost as it is about him becoming someone else. And he... Um, flies home, and he, he is red flagged by Homeland Security, and he has a, a little bit of an issue. Why don't we take a look at that clip?
made the watch list. How'd you get to Afghanistan? There's a travel ban. <sighs> Through Yemen? Violent place. That's why the airfare is only $84. Can I have my fife back? Do you know anyone in Los Angeles? No. Any acquaintances? Okay. Any companions? Anybody here who might be able to verify that you're Walter Mitty? Walter Mitty? Yeah. Todd Mahar, eHarmony. Hey. Thank you. Thanks. I really. What? Come here. Come here. Ugh. Back, back. <laughs> ah, big hug. Ugh. Airport prison, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me all about it over Cinnabon. Come on. Cinnabon. How long were you detained for, by the way? Mm. Like 17 hours. <laughs> wow. How's that Cinnabon taste? Really great. That's like, that's frosted heroin, is what you're eating, my friend. That's what you're having right there, that's man. Mmm. By the way, you got 300 winks before I took on your profile. Three, in, in like a space of two hours, it was crazy. I thought I was selling concert tickets. I never checked. Oh, because of the, uh, the, the pina colada girl that quit? Yeah. Yeah. Cheryl. Cheryl, who did not respond to a single wink the whole time she was on there. That's a choosy lady. That's a choosy lady. <laughs> How's the uh, daydreaming going? Lately, less. Good. Less is good. Thanks for the pastry. Yeah, well, you owe me. <laughs> Send you a check as soon as I sell the piano. You a lot on your plate. What are you gonna do now? Go out and get another job? <laughs> Sorry, Walter, I just... What? You are so not how I pictured you. What, what, how, how did you picture me? I pictured you as a little gray piece of paper. But now I see you, and it's like Indiana Jones decided to become the lead singer of The Strokes or something like that. It's nuts, <laughs> I know. No, back to the story of Gideon. Um, one of the things I love is the beginning of that story in Judges chapter 6, verse 12. Let me read this to you. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, Gideon was a man that was, fear, uh, was afraid. He was racked with fear. He was living his life based on fear. And the angel of the Lord shows up and says, the Lord is with you, a mighty man of valor. And he wasn't being sarcastic there. He wasn't joking. He wasn't being ironic. He was, he was describing Gideon the way God saw Gideon. And then he goes on to say in verse 14, and the angel of the Lord turned to him and said, go in the might of yours. He's saying, the power you need to do what God's asking you to do is already in you. So go with the strength that's yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do, do not I send you? Then it's interesting, his response in 15, he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. 
What Gideon is saying is, who am I to save Israel? Who am I to do something great? There's nothing about my life that's great or extraordinary or powerful. I am the smallest in my family. I'm the youngest. I've got every excuse to why I shouldn't do something great. And you know what God said? God doesn't say, no, 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 you are great. Everything about you is great. It's not like today when everybody gets a trophy. God doesn't say that. Did you see what God said? God doesn't dispute it at all. He says, but I will be with you. He says, you know what? You are the youngest in your family. You are from the tribe of Manasseh. There's all kinds of things about you that would seem to disqualify you from doing something great. But I am with you. That's the thing we have to remember. You might be sitting here today saying, who am I to do something great for, for God? I am nobody. I've got a past. I've got baggage. I've got hurts. I've got all these things that say that I shouldn't do something great for God. And God says, you know what? That's absolutely true. But I'm with you. I am with you. Yes, you're not qualified. But neither is anybody else. None of us are qualified to do something great for God, except that God resides in us and wants to do the extraordinary. You might be sitting here and you say, you know what, I'm just a little gray piece of paper. That, that describes me perfectly. But do you know what? God sees our potential. He sees you as a mixture of Indiana Jones and the lead singer of the Strokes. That's how God sees you. God sees you as somebody who can do something extraordinary for him. And you might be sitting here saying, you know what, the, my life is plain and average and ordinary. But if the God of the universe resides in you, the, the extraordinary resides in you as well. God wants us to stop dreaming and start living. He, he wants us to do something that's terrifying for him. And the last thing is God wants us to see ourselves the way God does. You see yourself and you see yourself as unqualified. You see yourself as unworthy. But God sees you and he sees your potential. He sees everything you could be. So you have to stop looking at yourself the way you see yourself and say, God, I want to have your eyes when it comes to my life. Because God sees the extraordinary in you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you want us to live a courageous life. A life that's bold and dangerous and risky. But Lord, there is no risk because we can find our peace in you. So Lord, I pray today you would just have your way with us over the next few minutes. Be glorified in us. Be glorified in this place. And I pray that you'd help us become courageous and bold and brave. So Lord, have your way with us. Now with you, would keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. I just want to ask you, if you're here today and you said, Mel, I, I, it's hard for me to be bold because I don't even really have a relationship with God. I mean, I know about it. I've been in church. I understand on a mental level, but I don't know God. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. So the fact is I can't really be brave and bold to do what he's asked me to do. And so if you're here today and you say, I need to take that first step. I need to be connected with Jesus. I need to be in a relationship with him so I can live the life he's asked me to live. If that's you, maybe you're tired of living in the baggage. You're tired of living in the pain and the hurt and the disappointment. You say, today I'm going to make a change. I want to know Jesus. If that's you, would you just put your hand up and hold it up real high just for a minute. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. Thank you. Down here in the front, down here on my right, several hands in the middle. Who else? Keep your hand up just for a second. It says, that's me. Pray for me, Mel. Thank you over here on my right. I see you. Awesome. Who else? It says, that's me. Put your hand up. Thank you, ma'am. You can put your hand down in the middle. Thank you. Thank you over here on my left. Awesome. If you're watching online and you said, you know, I feel like the Holy Spirit's speaking to me. I need to make a change in my life. This is what we're going to do. Every person in this room is going to repeat a prayer. And if you're watching online, I want you to repeat this prayer after me as well. So let's pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, 
Thank you for loving me at my worst. I commit to give you my best. I want to live a bold life. I don't want to live in fear. And the only way to do that is through you. Thank you that through you, I can do all things. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And thank you that I can know you today. I'm turning away from my old life and I'm never gonna go back. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's give God a big round of applause.